welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Gate Church. Now just look at this. This guy's been married for years. Zechariah was a priest. It was his turn to serve in the sanctuary. And when God comes into your life, things change. Your whole perspective on life changes. The opportunities, the possibilities in life change when God gets involved in your life. Things which were true before that day are suddenly no longer true because God is involved now. But look at this. God wasn't just giving them a child. He was involving them in his plan. See, God really comes into our lives. He does things for us. He does things in the circumstances and know everything about our lives. But he wants to do so much more than that. We become players in his purpose, in things that he is doing here on earth. Let's move on to Luke one thirty-one. This is Mary. I mean, if you talk about John, uh, John the Baptist was a child that uh, John, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to have. And it was a big thing, an enormous thing happening. But with Mary, wow. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of uh, the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, there's two enormous things about this. First of all, this was a virgin birth. Now, let me just say, we aside on that, first of all. I, I, if you, you'll, you'll hear people say, how can you believe in the virgin birth? Well, I want to say, first of all, I absolutely believe in the virgin birth, and I have no problem whatsoever believing in the virgin birth. Let me just explain a little why. Put your hand up if you're fully human. Now, if you're not fully human, you shouldn't have been allowed in because of health and safety reasons. We don't allow animals or aliens in this, in the church. Put your hand up if you're fully God. And again, for health and safety reasons, anyone has to put your hand up, you're quite lucky because we're not allowed to burn people at the stake any longer. Right, we're fully human and that's it. Jesus is fully human and fully God. So if there's something a little different about his conception, it's not the least bit surprising to me. And then you look at this. uh, Who is God? He's the creator of everything. He's created everything on earth. He's created the whole solar system. He's created the whole galaxy. He's created all the galaxies. If God can do that, I think he can do a virgin birth. Amen? Amen. So, Mary came, this is going to become the mother of Jesus, and it was a virgin birth. But again, it wasn't just any son. It's the son of God. And she's about 15 years old, give or take. Don't know exactly how old she is. 15 is a reasonable guess. She's come to give birth to the son of God. The one of whom his kingdom will never end. What an amazing change in her life. Let's move on to chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. And this is about the shepherds. 
I don't know if you still sing this, but if, if, you, were, if you were my age, when you were at school, it was the shepherds washing their socks by night. They were just a group of guys doing their work out in the fields looking after the sheep. And God sent a myriad of angels. They appeared in the sky, singing and declaring the glory of God, declaring what was going to happen. Said, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And of course, after this, they went off, and they went to Bethlehem, and they went to worship Jesus. These were just ordinary guys. God chose to send I don't know how the angels were, loads of angels, a choir of angels to them to declare what God was doing. And then just after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple to be circumcised according to the Jewish customs. And there we meet two more people. First of all, it says in Luke 2.25, Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it says the Holy Spirit moved him to go into the temple when Jesus had been taken there. And he saw Jesus, and he says, now I have seen the salvation of Israel. Now you may dismiss your servant in peace. And then there's another old person. In 2.36, says, there is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years, then been made a widow. She was now 84, and she spent all her time praying, fasting, and she was a prophet. And she was there at the time that Jesus was brought into the temple. And it says that she went around telling everyone there who this baby was. Let's just look at these five people, or these five groups of people, individuals and groups. First of all, in the world's eyes, they were nobodies. They weren't people of any great importance. In God's eyes, they were somebodies. They were people who God gave a leading role in his story, in his work, in what he was doing. There's another common feature about them. They were all devout people. They were all dedicated to God. They had a humble spirit and a heart dedicated to God. Come back to that just in a moment. Look at the age range. You've got Mary, about 15. Zechariah and Elizabeth, not really quite sure how old they were, getting on a bit. The shepherds, probably just an age, a range of ages. And then Simeon and Anna, getting on in years. Anna was 84, but Simeon was old, we don't know exactly how old. 
doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old or somewhere in between. When God gets involved in your life, when you, we get involved in God's story, our lives can become enormously significant. And look at the difference between Simeon and Anna. Simeon, he says, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. Anna, she's out telling people. She's out telling everyone around, this is the Messiah. God has sent his salvation to Israel today. It's just a difference between them. Look, one's so contemplative. The other is a bit like Tigger. Complete pain in the neck. You know, bouncing around. Well, she was 84, but she wasn't too much bouncing. But she, was, she, she had no intention of dying yet. She wanted to tell people. And God approved of them both. So it doesn't matter what sort of person you are. If you're a contemplative type, God loves you. If you're a uh, Tigger for Jesus, God loves you. And if you're a contemplative type, we need to appreciate the Tiggers for Jesus. And if you're a Tigger for Jesus, you need to appreciate the contemplative types. Because God appreciates all people whose heart is dedicated towards him. Let's just have a look at the shepherds. It's, uh, do, 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 here we go with this. Uh, go on to the next verse where Vic takes us. There we go. This is the angel. Back to the shepherds. The angels had told them, He's born, the Messiah has been born in the city of David. So you see, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened about which the Lord has told us. The angels hadn't told them he was born in Bethlehem. He said he was born in the city of David. So these shepherds obviously knew something. Well, they weren't rabbis or teachers of the law, but they knew something of the word of God. So they knew that if he was born in the city of David, it must be in Bethlehem. And just imagine, these are rough shepherds, down, very down-to-earth men. And they went to go and worship this child. In fact, all of these people we've looked at, what did they see? See, they've got this humility of spirit, this dedication to God, and they've got faith. Because they saw a baby. And yet they recognized what this baby was going to become. That he was the Messiah. And all that he was going to do. And they all had a respect for God. You know, we all like to get, it's nice getting likes and things like that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you're, you're into. How much better to get a like from God? Come on, who wants a like from God? Do you know what it says in Isaiah 66 verse 2? It says this. God says this. This is the one I esteem. Who wants to be esteemed by God? The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's what we should be seeking for. That's what we should be. If you, if you want to lead role in God's story, that's the, the, the heart attitudes we need to cultivate within ourselves. 
a humility of spirit, dedication towards God, and to tremble at his word. Even if you don't just think, well, I don't know that much about his word. Hey, if you know something about God's word, if you believe something about God's word, God esteems you. Now let's just have a look at a couple of them, just a tiny bit more detail. Let's look at Zechariah. Zechariah gets a bad rap. If we go back to it, Luke chapter 1, 18 and 20. Zechariah asked the angel, and the angels just told him what's going to happen. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife's getting on as well. And the angel says, now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And we say, naughty, naughty, Zechariah, why didn't you believe the angel? And we contrast that with uh, goody two-shoes Mary, who said, let it be unto your servant as the Lord has said. And we just write Zechariah off. Well, I want to speak in favor of Zechariah. I want to say a word for him. We write him off, but also God did not write him off. First of all, I can, I, I can, I can understand it. See, we've been married for years. Nothing's happened yet. How's it going to change now? So I can understand him. But look at this. Now, we, we, we're just going to do a wee bit of deep theology. Can you cope with that? It's going to be deep and profound. It's going to be simple. Three bits of it. And the third bit might be life-changing. So first of all, our unbelief and our disobedience cannot stop God's plan. That's point one. Let's look at, let's look at the big picture. What is God's overall plan for humanity? What was it, his plan laid down in Genesis 1 and 2? So that we would reflect his glory. That we would have dominion over the earth that we would enjoy fellowship with him. As we know, man sinned. What's the end result? Where does all this lead to? We will be just like Christ. We will reign over the earth. And we will enjoy God's presence forever. God's plan has not been stopped. And if you look at Abraham and Sarah, God said to Abraham, all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And Abraham and Sarah had no children. Ten years on, nothing much had happened. So they came up with the craziest plan in the Bible. Sarah said, go and sleep with the servant girl and we'll have a son through her. And you think, what were you thinking? How can that possibly be a good plan? And it wasn't. It was a, disaster, a complete disaster. But what happened? Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham has become the father of countless millions of people. And all of us who believe in Jesus are part of those countless millions of descendants from Abraham. And thousands have been added to that every single day. Abraham and Sarah's unbelief and sin did not stop God's plan happening. 
Zechariah here did not believe the angel. John the Baptist was born. It did not stop God's plan happening. Second point is this. Our sin and unbelief matters and has serious consequences. If you talk about Adam and Eve, absolutely ginormous consequences for the whole of humanity ever since. Look at Abraham and Sarah. They sleep with the servant girl nonsense. caused nothing but trouble. Zechariah, here, struck dumb for nine months. It is infinitely better to obey God than to disobey God. It is infinitely better to live out of faith than to live out of unbelief. But we all do disobey God at times. And we all do sometimes make decisions out of unbelief. And sometimes those are things which have a very, very serious effect. So here's the third point. There is always a way forward. And it's called faith. Let's go on to the next slide. John the Baptist, the baby was born nine months later. Zechariah was still dumb at this point. And after John was born, they asked Elizabeth, what's his name to be? And she said, John. And they went, John? What are you going to call him John for? There's nobody in your family called John. Where have you got that name from? And then Zechariah writes on the tablet, because the angel had told him, you've got to call this child John. And he wrote on this tablet, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth is opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. You see, God had provided a way forward. He was able to show the faith that, yes, he knew he'd got it wrong, but now he believed, and he was able to show that. So God provided a way forward. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was born. And then Abraham was able to demonstrate his absolute faith in God when God told him to take Isaac up to be sacrificed. He knew that Isaac was not going to die. And with all of us, the whole of mankind, there's a way forward. It's called faith in Jesus. And we might think, we might have made decisions which were wrong. We might have made decisions which are out of unbelief or in maybe in direct disobedience to God. And it might have had terrible consequences for our lives. But there's a way forward. It's called faith in Jesus. And when Zechariah was restored, he wasn't told to go and sit on the naughty step. Look what happens in the next bit. 167. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And then he, there's, uh, the prophecy he gave is recorded in Luke. He wasn't told to go and just sit in the notice step for a few months till he paid for his sins. He was restored immediately to a central part role in God's plan. He started prophesying and his prophecies recorded in the Word of God for us. And let's, let's finish by looking at Mary. She gives this song, starts in Luke 1, 46. It's called the Magnificat. It's a song which is known 
been known for over 2,000 years, sung throughout the world in all sorts of churches. Churches which have a liturgical type, which means they follow a written order of service. Many of those services include this song. And there's nothing wrong with liturgical services. If it's done in faith, it's fine. Three weeks ago, I was down at my mum's. It was a birthday. She was she's, uh, 86 now. And at church on Sunday, it's in the Methodist church. They follow a written order of service for communion. And it was such a privilege to take communion together with my mum. But look at this, this song. Sung throughout, age, throughout the ages, throughout the world, by Christians everywhere. Written by a 15-year-old girl. You see, do we want our lives to be truly significant? Or do we want the superficiality that the world seeks to put on our lives? If we have a heart, a humble heart, and a spirit dedicated to God, there is no limit on the significance that our lives can have. So whether we are 15 or whether we're 85, and I'm neither of those, in case you're wondering, we, there's no limit to what God can do with us. We dedicate ourselves to him. Let's just look at, briefly at the song. It says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And you might look at that and you think that's a bit self-centered. And of course, there's a wrong way of being self-centered. But our wrong self-centeredness is a symptom that we have been, that we're trying to be our own God. Mary realized that God was utterly focused on her. And we need to realize that God is utterly focused on us so that we can be utterly focused on others. We need to know how much God is concerned about our lives so then we can live our lives, be concerned about others. Amen? Then it goes on in the next couple of verses on here. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's realized that God, all this stuff, just how deeply and how much God is concerned about her. And now she then sees the vastness of God's plan. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God's plan is for the world. Right at the start, I talked about promises and sins. How can we square the two? Well, the Apostle Paul sums it up beautifully in 2 Corinthians 1.20. And he says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are all yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God, we thank you for your gift of sending your son to be with us. 
We thank you for the work that you do in our lives. We thank you, God, that you care about us more than we can ever imagine. And we thank you for the vastness of your plans. We thank you for the role that you want us to have in your plans. Thank you, you want us to be a people utterly dedicated to you, through whom you are achieving and doing amazing things. And Lord, we pray, may you do amazing things through our life for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the end of your teaching for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. 